If you have your Bibles, you'll turn with me to the Gospel of John. We've been in John the last three weeks in this Advent season. We're going to be in John chapter 1. We're also going to be in uh, the book of Colossians, one of Paul's letters, Colossians 1 this morning. But as we begin, let me remind you to fully understand the incredible good news of the Christmas story to fully understand the incredible good news of the gospel story and the news of Jesus' birth, we really need to begin to understand the bad news. The bad news that there was no other way for us to be rescued from the curse of sin and death. There was no other way for us to ever be reconciled with a holy God as sinful people. There was no other way for us to ever find our way home except for God giving us his son. The only way for us to have life, the only way for us to have forgiveness, the only way for us to have uh, really any hope at all is the Christmas story and the reality of the gospel story. So we've been looking at that. There's no other way. We looked at this Jesus had to be the son of God. And wow, God in flesh. He, he had to be that word of God in John 1 that created all things. He had to be last week the Lamb of God. And by the way, if you've missed any of these, they're all on our website. They're on Spotify or on Apple Podcasts. And just to be reminded that there was no other way for us to make it home. There was no other way to bridge the gap other than Jesus and that fullness of God. Okay, so this morning, I want to start with a riddle, a Christmas riddle for you, so to speak. I know you're smart. I know you're going to get it. If not, I'll run back and ask your kids. But here it is. I'm small enough to carry, but powerful enough to create just about anything. I'm small enough to be hold, hold, but powerful enough and resourceful enough to fix about anything. I'm small enough to wrap in cloth. But in the right hands, I am incredibly useful. Who or what am I? Jesus. No, I'm a Swiss army knife, right? I mean, really, I'm a Swiss army knife. You think about this, I mean, small, and this in the right hands. Did you could do with this little, I mean, he could do anything. He could solve any mystery. The power of a small package what you could do with this thing. Look at all these little pieces that come. And my wife now is like, oh God, please don't let him cut his fingers all apart because she knows how I am with tools in my hand. I mean, they got some of the coolest things on this little thing. I mean, this is, this is pretty, pretty darn useful. In my hands, it's dangerous. Should be in somebody else's hands. But the reality is, the most powerful things often do come in small packages with the power to create, with the power to recreate. The greatest gift ever given, you know it, it's a Christmas season. We know that reality, it's Jesus. And did he come in a small package? He came in an incredible small package. I mean, listen, I know you know the story, but just wrap your mind around it. Jesus came, God in flesh, right? A baby in a manger. Can you get more helpless than that? You get more vulnerable than story gets me. Are you kidding me? That's it. God of the universe wrapped in swath cloth. I mean, the God who created all things in Him. Scripture is going to say, Jesus in this Jesus, the, the the fullness of God would dwell. 
It will say, veiled in flesh, the gods had see, hail incarnate deity. You know that hark the herald angels see, sing? Think about that. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. What a great line. It's basically say, here in flesh is God Almighty. I mean, he's veiled. You can't really see, but it just is God incarnate deity, God in flesh. Laying in the manger was the fullness of God. We're going to look at three things this morning as we look at the fullness of God. Again, we looked at the Son of God. We've looked at the Word of God. We've looked at the Lamb of God. This week, we're going to look at the fullness of God. We're going to see three things as we look at John and the book of Colossians. In Jesus is the fullness of God in flesh. The second thing we're going to see is from his fullness, we've all received grace and truth. And thirdly, that emptying must precede filling and what that reality is in our lives. So your Bibles, again, if you'll look with me to John, John chapter one, I'm going to read verses 14 through 18. Then we're going to skip over to Colossians, Colossians one, verses 15 through 20. Let's be mindful that this is God's word, God's inerrant, holy word. It'll never lead us astray. Hear the word of the Lord. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John, this is John the Baptist, bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. And then you turn to Colossians 1. Picking up in verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by his blood of his cross. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the depth of your love that you would send us your son. And God, we thank you that he would enter into the story of history because history points to him. He's the point of history. And God, when we read this text, our hearts start beating. We get excited that In Jesus dwelt the fullness of God. How in the world, lying there in the manger, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see incarnate deity. The God, it's more than our minds can fully grasp. It's more than we can fully understand. So God, would you come? 
Would you come and would you do that which only you could do? Would you give us eyes to see your son? Would you give us eyes to see that in that manger was the fullness of God? Would you give us ears to hear your voice? And, and God, would you give us minds to understand your word? And would you give us hearts that, that God, that embrace your truth? And would you give us feet that would walk in a manner worthy of your name, that would walk by faith, that, that we believe by your grace? And because we do believe, we've been given the right to become children of God. That's incredible. God, the things that I say that are wrong are merely my opinion. May those things fall away and be forgotten. But the things that are said that are true and contain the good news of the gospel, would you use those things to bring yourself glory, to make us more like your son, our Savior, Jesus? And it's in his matchless name that we pray. Amen. First thing we're going to see, according to this text, according to God's word, that in Jesus is the fullness of God in flesh. Right there. And I love the fact that John is going to say that this invisible God we can't see, but Jesus is going to be the the revealer of who God really is. And by the way, Jesus is the revealer of who man should ultimately be as well. But Paul's going to pick up on this. He's going to say, in this Jesus, he is the, the one who makes God visible. Because why? Well, he is the image of the invisible God. The same thing that Hebrews 1 would say. He's the exact representation. You want to know who God is, you have to see Because Jesus is God in flesh. The fullness of God was pleased to dwell in him. Here is one fully man. Here is one fully God. The image of the invisible God. But there's more than that. He's the creator of all things. If you remember when we looked at Jesus being the word of God in John 1 in the beginning, it reminded that all things were created for him. There was nothing that was created that was not created by him. That he is the one, that word who spoke, that one that takes us back to Genesis, that word who speaks that out of nothing, all things are created. And here scripture is going to say that there was nothing that was created. And and Paul's going to say in Colossians, even rulers, authorities, principalities, nothing that exists wasn't created by God. He's the creator of all things. All things were created through him. And I love that. Not only just the creator of all things, he was, he's the proprietor or the owner of all things. They were created by him and they were created through him. But watch this. They were also created for him. I mean, as awesome as it is to see a sunset, as incredible it is to go to the beach and see the waves crashing on the shore or see a mountain or see the beauty of your granddaughter or see the beauty of love all around us, the things that we see, they ultimately not only are his, they were created for him. He owns all things. He is the point. The Greek word here is the telos. It's like he is the point of all things. They All things were created. Why? For us to enjoy. That's yeah, part of it, but it's not ultimate. For us to find life. Oh, that's true, but it's not ultimate. You know why God created all these things? For himself. To display his glory. So we could see creation and say, oh my gosh, look at our God. Look what he thought of. Look what he spoke. Look what came into existence. All things were created by him. All things were created for him. All things created through him. And all things point to him. And he's the point of all things. Not only that, it says that all things hold together in him. That little baby. (laughs) 
He's the sustainer of all things. Now, listen, I mean, it, it, it stretches me. Really? I mean, he's the one who owns and holds Orion's belt in the line. He's the one who keeps all things spinning in the universe and the cosmos the way they are. He's the one who's the sustainer, listen, of all things in heaven and earth. He's the one who's the sustainer of even our lives, our country, everything, our jobs. He is the sustainer of all he is. And by the way, he's not sweating. And by the way, he's not wringing his hands thinking, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? I own it, but this place is such a mess. Do you think if he created all things, listen, listen, lean into this. Do you think if he created all things and do you think if he sustains all things, he could hold your life together? Can you trust him for that? How are you doing holding your life together? I mean, I would imagine you're like me. You're frantic. You're a mess. You want to pretend. You want to say you have it all together. You don't. You're not strong enough. You're not good enough. And it's not because you're not a good person. It's because you're like me. You're a broken person. And we can't, we can't even hold our own junk together, right? And here you have one who's in a baby in a manger, who's no longer that baby in a manger, but he emptied himself. He became that baby in a manger who is the creator, owner, sustainer of all things. In Jesus is the fullness of God in flesh. He can hold your life together. Not only that, he's the head of all things. I mean, he's, he's the head. He's Hefe, the real Hefe, the real leader, the chief, especially the church. I love the way he calls us. He loves us. He calls us his bride. You know, it's those terms of love, my friends. But he's the head of the church, which means he's got our, he's, he's the authority. He's the one we look to. He's the savior of all things. I love how Paul says this, that, what, listen, through his blood on the cross, that's the instrument of how he saves. Now listen, it's crazy. You know what it says? Through his blood on the cross, he says this, he reconciled all things to himself in heaven and earth. Now we spend a lot of time thinking about the cross forgiving our sins. It did. And we spend a lot of time, and we should, thinking about how the cross, our sins were taken away and we were declared righteous in God's sight because of his life, death, and resurrection. It's amazing. But do you know that according to Scripture, not just here in Colossians, but also Ephesians 1, 10 is going to say that God is reconciling everything in the cosmos, in the universe, in heaven and earth. Everything is going to be reconciled in Christ Jesus, that he's the one. I mean, through the cross, through the perfect son of God dying for us, living for us, resurrected, that all things are going to be made new. All things are going to be made right. Do you believe it? I mean, it stretches me to the core. Like, God, you really are going to dry every tear. You are going to eradicate cancer. There will be no more divorce. There'll be no more fear of, of, of loved ones who were lost. It's all going to be made right in Christ Jesus, yes. Because in the fullness of time, you'd send his son to come rescue us. And he did more than just rescue us. He is reconciling everything in heaven and in earth and in Christ Jesus. That is the fullness of God, the Savior of all things. But John will say this. So, 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 so Paul, it's, by the way, it's probably a poem. That Colossians is probably a poem that the early church sang and memorized and known of who Jesus really is. But, uh, but John is going to say this of him, his fullness. You know what he's full of? <laughs> he's 
full of grace. You want to know what he's full of? He's full of truth. And it's from that fullness that we all are going to receive. Listen, a God who's full of grace. A God who is full of truth. Grace, God's unmerited favor. That's what he's full of. Truth, God's unblemished reality or truth or veracity. In Jesus is the fullness of God in flesh. But secondly, from his fullness, we have all received grace and truth. You have to have that combination. You can never separate the two. You'll never have the gospel. You'll never have Christmas. You'll never understand God unless you have grace and truth. The only way, without grace and truth, there would never have been a manger. God would only have to judge us. If there was only truth and no grace, why send his son to rescue us? And if there was, no, if there was only grace and no truth, he would never need a cross. It would not all, no big deal, but God would lose his holiness. Without grace and truth, there would never have been a manger. Without grace and truth, there would never have been a cross. Without grace and truth, there would never have been an empty tomb. Without grace and truth together, there would never be hope. I love what John would say. He says, listen, through Moses, we got the law. And the law, I mean, it's beautiful. It's amazing. It's a great work. But you know what? The law can't save us. (laughs) All the law does is convict us. Thou shalt not. Mm, Strike one. You shouldn't do this. You should do this. Oh, strike two, three. The law reveals the character of God. It reveals the beauty of God. It reveals the holiness of God. But it doesn't have the power to save any sinners. It just points at us and says, this is who you are. You are broken. You are needy. You are not holy. And that's the truth. And that's the law. And God gave it to us, his law through Moses. That's why Jesus is so much better. Why? Because he's full of grace. Grace and truth. You know, here, here's, the, here's the truthful, here's the reality. Now listen, don't miss this. We can only hear the truth through grace. Did you hear that? You can only hear the truth through grace. What theologians will call an effectual calling. That the gospel goes out and Jesus will say it this way when he preaches, those who have ears to let them hear this. Guess who has ears to hear? Do you think it's because you're smarter than your friends? Do you think it's because you don't have the earwax of this world in your ears? Guess what? It's grace that we hear his voice. Because we are dead in our trespasses and sins. And we can't hear a thing about God unless he gives us grace first. And allows us to hear. So grace and truth are so needed for us to even understand truth. But without grace and truth, we can't handle the truth. Without grace. I can't handle the truth without the grace of God. Because all I'm told is, you've broken, you're a sinner, you're not enough. But because of grace, I could say it's all true. But I'm loved, I'm accepted, forgiven, and free. Do you see how grace and truth are needed? you see how you need both to really embrace the truth? All right, here's, here's, here's the deal. You don't have to hide. You don't have to hide the reality of the fact that your life is undone. You don't have to hide the reality that you're just not enough. I'm not either. You don't have to pretend. You don't have to wear a mask. Because why? Jesus is filled with grace and truth. And the one who gave us the law, Jesus came to fulfill the law. 
and all the demands a holy God would have on you and me, He's fulfilled. And all the reason that God is angry because of our brokenness and our lostness, He bore the price. And we know that the Father accepted it because that tomb is empty. And we don't have to fear the law. We don't have to fear the truth. We can embrace the reality because why? Jesus is filled with grace and truth. And that is such a beautiful combination. Receiving grace and truth through Jesus gives us the power to embrace the darkness within our broken lives. Receiving grace and truth in Jesus allows us the power to embrace the darkness of our broken world. And let me just remind you what the psalmist says in Psalm 1611. You make known to me the path of life and in your presence there's fullness of joy. Why in God's holy presence is there fullness of joy? Because there's fullness of grace and truth. And at your right hand are pleasures evermore. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. And he didn't come just to point a finger at our brokenness. He came filled with grace and truth. Thirdly, emptying must precede filling. If you're going to pour something out and pour something in, there needs to be room for it. When Jesus was born, he was born in a manger. Why was he in a manger? You all know the story because there was no room for him at the inn, right? There wasn't any room for them. So let me use that truth and that reality and I'll ask you this question. Is there room for him in your life? Is there room for him in your heart? Is there that room? Because why? Because sometimes our lives are so filled with our stuff and our junk and everything the world has to offer, there's not a lot of room for Jesus. So emptying must precede filling. Emptying must precede the filling. If if, if from him, from his fullness, we have all received, there's got to be an emptiness to us that we acknowledge that allows him to be poured in. But remember, everything that God requires of us, God provides of us. And remember the beautiful reality that for him and his fullness, for us to receive, he had to empty out himself. Emptying out of Jesus to pour out grace and truth, that's the gospel story. To pour out grace and truth in our life. I want to to read Ephesians chapter 2. Verses 5 through 11. This is, this is going to tell us who Jesus is. Now listen. Listen in. This is amazing. Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, we looked at that, the fullness of God is in Jesus, did not account equality with God something to be grasped, which what he's saying here is the reality is as always fully God, he didn't hang on to it, but he emptied himself. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Talk about emptying. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God our Father. You see, for God's fullness to be received by us, he had to take the fullness of God and empty him out. And how he was emptying him out was to become a man, to become a servant, to die a death on the cross. That is the emptying of God, his fullness to us. So now we empty ourselves out so we can be poured in. We are broken and we are empty and we are needy. 
And Jeremiah will remind us of that. He calls us a broken cistern. And a cistern doesn't mean a lot to us because we don't get our waters in cisterns. But in that culture, that's how you got your water. You'd have a cistern that would hold life's precious need of water. And and Jeremiah will say of us, you're broken. You're a broken cistern. He'll say it this way. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water. And they have hewed out cisterns for themselves. Broken cisterns that can hold no water. You know what it's saying? It's saying you and I are needy and we are broken and we're looking to the world to fill us. I love the way that Ecclesiastes says this in 3.11. He has made everything beautiful in time. Also, he has put eternity in our hearts. He has put eternity in man's heart so he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. God has eternity in your heart. You and I, by nature, being broken, are broken cisterns. So you guess what? We're thirsty and we're needy and we want to be filled. Every single one of you wants to be filled. I do too. So what do we do as broken cisterns? We look to the world and we drink deeply thinking somehow that's going to fill us. And it won't. It never will. And he's going to say, I want to fill you. I want to fill you with grace. I want to fill you with truth. I want to fill you with love. But you've got to empty out the junk of the world. You just got, you got, you got, you're, you're filled up with all the stuff of the world and there's not much room in the inn for Jesus. So what do we do? We got to have faith and say, God, it starts with faith that my fullness that I need, that my heart, as Augustine will say in the 300s, will forever wander until my heart finds its rest in you. Have faith that, that everything you need is found in the fullness of God, right? That's what you and I need. Faith, and we turn there and say, God, you're the one who fills me up. You're the one who gives me grace and truth. You're the one who gives me life. You're the one who gives me forgiveness. Forgive me. Have faith and then repent of all the things that we've put our lips on that we thought would satisfy us. All the things we set our eyes on that we thought would give us beauty. All the things that we wanted to hold and touch and make our own that we thought would fill ourselves. We're broken cisterns that are trying to be filled with what the world has to offer and it's killing us. And it gives us grace and truth. We've got to have that faith. God, you're enough. We've got to have the repentance. God, I've been looking at all the wrong things. I've been running to all the wrong cisterns. And then we got to repeat. It's like every day. Faith, repent, repeat. Faith, repent, repeat. I mean, that's our life. That's a beautiful life. It says that Jesus needs to be preeminent in our lives. Because why? He's creator, sustainer, holy. He's got, I love that. He's got to be preeminent. Uno means... In our lives, he should be numero uno in everything. He should be preeminent in your marriage. He should be preeminent in your job. He should be preeminent with, with, with your hobbies. He should be numero uno in everything preeminent in our lives. Three out of four of our children and all of our money went to Covenant College. It's a great school on top of Covenant, uh, Lookout Mountain, Georgia, right above Chattanooga. Small little Christian school. One of the best mottos ever. What's a motto? Nothing, what's the motto with you, all right? So one of the best mottos, it says, in all things, Christ preeminent. You go on their campus, in all things, in everything, Christ preeminent. What an incredible reminder that live your life for Christ. And, and one time they made the foolishness of inviting me to come speak to the student body. Oh, I was so excited. And I had all of them there, you know, and they, they put me up in a very nice little cottage that they don't, I think they're condemned now, you know. And so I went into this little cottage and I was setting my, my, my toiletries up and I noticed that there was a sign in the bathroom 
that wanted to give very specific instructions of what to put in the toilet and what not to put in the toilet. And there was a lot of things, do not put these things in the toilet. These are bad things to put in the toilet. And then in big bold letters, after what you do and don't put in the toilet, it said, and in all things Christ preeminent. I'm like, really? <laughs> Is that taking it a little far? I mean, have you, what you put in there and what you don't. But I love the reality of what it's saying. It's basically saying, listen, in all of life, of all of life, the preeminence should be of Jesus. He's created you. He's redeemed you. He holds you together. He should be the point of your lives. He should be the point of your families, the jobs, and all things. You see, from his fullness, watch, from his fullness of grace and truth, we have all received. But it's more than, we, we are more than just recipients. Watch this. We are more than just recipients of God's grace and truth. We're his church. We are to be instruments of God's grace and truth. Listen, we got to speak truth. We live in a world that's so confused. We live in a world that's so dark. And we have to listen. It's going to be harder and harder. And we're going to be made fun of. And it's not, but we got to speak truth. Truth like all life is, is sacred. In the womb. Out the womb. Life is sacred. We got to say this is God. We, we, we got to stand for truth. But we got to be filled with grace. We got to realize that Everyone's sexuality is broken. So when we talk to those who have a lifestyle different than ours, we do it with grace. But we do it with truth. And we stand because why? Because we're not just recipients of grace and truth. We're instruments of grace and truth. That we basically are in God's hands. Swiss army knives. We're the ones that now we have the message. Now he wants to change the world through us. Go figure. We are the light of the world. We are it. And we live for his glory, saying, God, if you can use me as a Swiss army knife, if you can use me to help bring your light into a dark world, but only when we empty ourselves, only when we let the fullness of the gospel, only when we drink deeply from the fullness of God can the world see him. The invisible God made visible through you and me. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the fullness of God in the manger. And I just confess, I just preached on it and I don't really, it's just beyond my ability to fully grasp. But I believe it because you are filled with grace and truth and help my unbelief. But God, we, we are not just recipients of grace and truth. We are instruments of grace and truth. And God, you want to use us to, to shine the light of Christ in some really dark places. But you have to start by shining that light in the dark places of our lives. That we have to acknowledge that we're broken cisterns. We keep drinking from the wrong stuff. And God, would you empty us? Would you quarry us deep? And would you fill us with living water? Would it bubble out out of our lives to those around us? Not so that they'll praise us, but so that they'll know you. Jesus, the fullness of God. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.